Hi, and welcome to the Athena Rising podcast. I'm Dana. I started a journey long ago to heal myself, and I want to bring you along. I have a master's degree in counseling, plus certifications in Reiki, regression, and hypnosis. My goal is to help women heal our unique emotional pain by showing you all the ways that exist to do just that. It's my belief that we aren't just healing ourselves, we are also healing all the women who came before us and all who are yet to come. Every Tuesday, I'll introduce you to guests, topics, and modalities that will inspire you to try something new on your path. Let's get started. For today's episode, I have the honor and pleasure of interviewing Claire Zavko. She is a professor of sports law at the University of Miami, and she is also the owner of Lighthouse Yoga and Wellness. Claire and I will talk about yoga as a way of seeing our true selves for who we are, how flexibility or inflexibility of the body is a symbol of much more happening below the surface, and the beauty of living a life that's in balance. She shares her experience of feeling as though she had something to prove when she was younger and how she has really moved into a place of accepting herself exactly as she is. I am almost certain that at least one part of Claire's story will resonate with you. So let's get into it. Well, why don't we just go ahead and get started um, by having you kind of tell us what you do for a living and how you got to that place. I'm really interested in hearing about that. I currently own a yoga studio in South Florida, and I also teach sports law um, full-time at a local university. And it came together, I'd say, over many years. I, mean, I graduated law school about 12 years ago, and nine years ago, I think. Um, but it's, it's a moment that I feel the two aspects, having a studio and teaching, um, honor both aspects within me. And until this kind of has all came together in the last six months, for a long time, I was honoring the doing, the masculine, the legal side that I had been drawn to for so long. And then kind of at some point, I stepped away from it and kind of honored the spiritual side and was really going into my feminine and um, taking time for that. And then now the two have came together. And so it's just a natural progression of um, my journey. That's so fascinating. It's almost like you have um, a dual life, I guess, <laughs> in a way. But I love that you talk about the balance. So how did you originally become interested in sports law? In undergrad, I studied business. And at that point, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to focus in. So I, I had that general business degree. And I knew, though, when I finished my undergraduate studies that I would go back to study um, further. And I wasn't sure if I was going to explore law school or maybe explore um, master's in business. And um, kind of the changing point was actually when I realized what was on the LSAT, which is an admissions exam. And one of the, the components of the admissions exam is this thing called logic games. And it is those games where it say something like there are 10 people going to a dinner party. And Sarah must sit across from Bobby, and Sarah can't sit next to John, and John has to be three seats away from Michelle. And it's like this whole fact pattern. And what was interesting about it is when I was a child, I used to do puzzles like that 
for fun. Like when I was eight years old, I had books that would just be games like that. And I found them very fun. And so when I learned that this was on the LSAT, I couldn't believe like this was something that'd be tested. It was just natural to me and easy to me and super fun. So I thought if that was any reflection of what type of things were going to occur in law school, it was, it was somewhere I wanted to be. So I, you know, for, uh, pursued that path. That's really interesting. I did not yeah. know that about <laughs> the exam. I didn't know those kinds of questions were on there. That's fascinating. Yeah. I guess it's trying to put the pieces together and yeah, that's really interesting. So then what prompted you to open a yoga studio? How did you get involved in that side of yourself? So I was a former collegiate athlete um, at that time, an undergrad, and when athletics finished, that was right when I, when I was about 21, I was 15 years ago, was right when I took my first yoga class. And um, at that time, it was, it was the perfect timing, and I kind of had felt an inner void that when basketball finished, I wasn't sure who I was because for so long, I had defined myself as a basketball player, and that was where I was spending the majority of my time, and for so many years outside of school, that's all that mattered. I was playing on travel teams, and you know, so much time and resources had went into developing that aspect. Um, so then I take a yoga class and it just really had opened my eyes and challenged me physically in a way that I'd never been challenged before. Yet there was also just something more that I didn't know how to put into words at the time, but there was just some other challenge. So, um, so I started pursuing it. I started practicing a particular style of yoga for seven, eight years. It was very physical and, and that was relevant at that time and it really helped me um, get into my physical body because I realized that even though I had been playing college athletics and I had been very athletic, I wasn't feeling what I was actually ever feeling. Like I was just using my body and I was taught to be faster, be stronger, go harder. You know, if something hurts, just push through it, etc. But I was never taught to actually feel what I'm feeling and and then adapt. You know, and be kind to my body and. Um, and, and also develop flexibility in my body. Like I just had never learned those things personally through sports. So when I started to get into yoga was the first time that, oh my gosh, wow, I can move in these new ways. It is possible for me to be graceful. And now I understand that flexibility is actually equally as important as the strength I have. That if I don't have the flexibility to support my strength, I'm only using one aspect of myself. Um, so all these new kind of things started happening, um, which just kept kept me to the path. Um, and then I'd say about five or so years ago, I just um, started studying other, other styles of yoga. I started studying yin yoga. Um, I started traveling to India. Um, I started uh, studying more subtler modalities of the yoga practice. And that's when I just kept having... Um, deeper and deeper experiences of myself and the body and the breath and my heart and things just really started to open up. So for me, yoga for me is like no longer something I only practice. It's, it's simply a way of life that, um, you know, I aim to embody yoga, meaning union, in every single thing that I do, not just when I'm on a mat for an hour. Mm, it is definitely a way of life, isn't it? It's not just yes. a workout. <laughs> yes. That is for sure. Well, I know that you also um, lead many yoga retreats around the world. So can you tell us how you got started leading those and maybe about some of your experiences and the places that you've been? Sure. So I'm based in Miami, Florida and been here for a while. And I was teaching at a local studio 
four or five years ago, and and I'm from Seattle originally. And so when I was teaching at the, the local studio, though, people knew that I was from Seattle. And so people started coming up to me and asking me about Seattle. They just kept saying, you know, oh, I've always heard about it. It sounds so great. I want to go there. Um, and so it, 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 was, it wasn't just one person. It was like multiple people just kept talking about wanting to go to Seattle. So it kind of just felt this, this organically it arose that, okay, it kind of makes sense that maybe it's relevant for me to bring these people in South Florida that are interested to Seattle and also let's do yoga there. So it just evolved. And so I, I did that first retreat in Seattle about four years ago and it went well and it made sense and people had amazing experiences and got to experience another corner of our country that's very different than, you know, the in the Miami corner that, that I'm based in. Um, so it was fun. And so that has kind of picked up steam. So this summer I'll be hosting the fourth annual Seattle retreat. Um, and then it's kind of evolved from there. Personally, I travel to, to India um, often a few times a year. So then same thing that students started saying, well, I want to go to India too, you know, take me to India. So then that kind of naturally evolved. Um, and then I've always personally had a draw to Machu Picchu and the Sacred Valley uh, in Peru. So a couple years ago, I went myself to experience it and I had profound uh, experiences. And so then I was inspired that, oh, wow, I, you know, I would love to, to bring people here as well. So when I came back, I started with a friend, uh, started to prepare um, for that to happen. So this past summer, we took a group down to Peru and did a whole week experience there in the Sacred Valley. So, so those are where we've been so far. That's amazing. Um, I, this is a little side thing here, but can you tell me a little bit about Machu Picchu? Um, for those who don't know, why is it a special place? So there's many, um, much information you can can read and learn about Machu Picchu, but the interesting thing about Machu Picchu is that a lot of it really isn't known, and it's actually just people's, you know, guesses of what what has gone on there. But the most fascinating part is, you know, it was built in the 1500s on the top of mountain peaks, these teeny little mountain peaks, and there's a whole town up on top of these mountain peaks, and. Not only is it incredible of, wow, how did the Incans do it back at that time, you know, pre-computers, pre-everything, but the other beautiful aspect of it is that it was done so well and so intentional that it is still standing four or 500 years later, you know, and that's one of the feats and that's why it's one of the, the wonders of the world is that it, it's still there, you know, we still get to visit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's just a really sacred place. It um, is in the jungle. You know, it's quite a trek to get there. Um, when you're in Cusco, you have to take a few-hour car ride to the um, train station. And the only way to get there is to either hike in or to take a train. And the train ride's about two hours. If you hike, it's about four days. And then there's a teeny little town there in the crack um, of the mountains, Aquas Caliente. And so you... you you know, ground down there. You're welcome to stay the night there. There's lodging options. And then you take this bus up these switchbacks for 20 minutes, these steep, steep switch switchbacks. And then at the very top is, is where now Machu Picchu sits. So from being my personal experience from being there is the energy. It, it, it feels high vibrational. And when I brought a group there, it was, they felt the same thing. There's such a high vibration there that 
um, from that has been created. Maybe it existed in the place before the structures were built, but it's definitely just still there. Um, so I personally have spent, at, like after the retreat, I spent extra time just to be in that energy and work with some local healers. And um, it, it's just a very special, sacred place. Why might someone want to go on a yoga retreat like this or what type of person would benefit from this experience? So with the retreats, they are intensive experiences, whether it's a weekend experience or a week or 10 days or whatever it may be. So the retreats often lend themselves to people that really seek to retreat, that they really want to take a given amount of time and they want to unplug from their, their daily routine and um, have time and space to one, replug back into themselves and the environment we're in, the nature that's surrounding us. And then also the community, you know, whoever else comes on the retreat that, you know, I, I've realized now doing a handful of these retreats is it's never by accident who shows up. And the people that do show up always have something very similar in common, that we're all kind of um, experiencing the same challenges in that time and space. So it's a really beautiful phenomenon that occurs to um, have the time and space to go inward to also connect to the surroundings and then though to see the interconnection between one another. So um, if anyone's interested in um, giving that gift of self-care to themselves, it's powerful. I can only imagine. <laughs> Nothing is ever an accident, especially a trip like that. So <laughs> what are some of the, maybe the issues or the conditions that you see um, people repeatedly working on, and I know you could also draw from your experience owning a yoga studio and teaching there. It doesn't have to just be from your retreats, but, um, you know, what are some of the general things that women turn to yoga for to help them heal? So from my experience, um, you know, leading teacher trainings and, and teaching students over the years, um, you know, the biggest thing that I see is the people want to come because something feels off, you know, something feels off and that, that could just be so many things, but something feels not complete and they seek to go to yoga because they start having these experiences that, oh, when I'm on the mat, I kind of feel a little more complete than I felt before, or I, I feel a little more me than I've ever felt before. So people start coming to yoga. Um, and as I've done the deeper training, when we've got to get into a little bit deeper about what's going on, um, I say the biggest thing that I see is um, students not knowing their value. And uh, for me, and when I work with, you know, say a group of 10 for an intensive teacher training over 10 weeks, like from the moment they stay, uh, step in, I see how amazing they are. Like, I, I don't know how, but I can just see like where they're going and I can see their potentiality in day one. And, and so through that process, um, we work with the practices and the tools on how can they, cause it's most, it doesn't matter what I see, but, um, how can they step into their power and their power is showing up fully honoring the different aspects of themselves, following their heart, doing what they love and being clear and being persuasive and at peace. Well, they do that. So, um, you know, that, that's what I see that, that, you know, until um, students are reminded, it can be easy to just forget how much value each one of us offers that's unique and how much value we offer that the world needs. Sounds like 
um, just what I'm hearing you say is that so many women and people in general do not see themselves for their true self, for their true essence. And yoga is a way to do that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yoga is a holistic practice that can support that journey. Yeah. I was going to ask you to talk about that a little bit more. How can, how does yoga help you to see yourself in a more true light? So since yoga again is union and, you know, it's not just the physical postures, it's not, you know, necessarily what we see on Instagram or social media, but yoga is this holistic practice. And, um, I've had the opportunity to study in India at, in Rishikesh, which is the birthplace of yoga and the way it's passed down through the Himalayan tradition from teacher to, to student is that it's this holistic practice. It is really not just 60 minutes on a mat. And by being this holistic practice, it's um, important that, yes, we have a healthy physical body and we honor that and we continue to have our body um, healthy and do healthy practices. But more than that, you know, it's what are we thinking and what are our values? And are we in a continual state of expansion? Are we opening? Are we closing? How can we open when we want to close? You know, and, and there's just many layers to it. And, um, you know, personally for me and what what transitioned a huge shift in my life experience and also how I was showing up in the world was about three years ago when I was learned and then started and committed to a daily meditation practice. And I had at that time, I'd been practicing yoga for 12 years, but without the meditation, I actually realized until I started doing it, my yoga had uh, a weak foundation. So once I started the meditation practice daily, you know, that's the foundation. And it's in that silence and stillness that it's been revealed to me again and again and again how much value I have. And um, it's not something that can be talked about, but it's something that can be felt in stillness. So, you know, that's the foundation of the yoga practice is meditation, silence, stillness, focus, listening. And then, you know, once you come from that clear, authentic place, then you start to move in the world to, to do whatever you do and play whatever role you play. There's an effortlessness behind it. And, and it becomes easy. It's fun. It's a game. The divine play. <laughs> Going inward. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love yoga myself. It's um, something that I've worked on over the years as well. <laughs> it's not the easiest of things. And um, my mom has always joked that we don't have the body type for yoga. But um, I tend to disagree. I think anyone can practice yoga no matter what your body looks like. And I've seen all types of women do yoga. So I think it's for really anyone that is willing to maybe start for the physical benefits. And then it just is a door that can open up to so much more. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the physical aspect was a gateway for me into the practice and it is a gateway for many. Um, and then it, it often, as people commit and stick to it, it, it turns into so much more. And, um, you know, another thing in the media is that maybe it's portrayed that a certain demographic predominantly practices yoga or certain gender predominantly practices yoga. Um, But I think it's important to point out that if you have a physical body and if you're breathing, you're able to do yoga. It has nothing to do with gender, body, anything. Mm -hmm. And I think so often people feel like there is a, um, you know, like a look 
or a stereotype of someone who does yoga that they have certain kind of clothes and that they walk a certain way and you know that they do all these different types of things I know sometimes I've been intimidated in yoga classes before too with people who look like they are so advanced or you know whatever but if you can just try to show up as you are I just think it's like you said it's just an amazing gateway to see yourself in a different light so yes so the key like you just stated is just show up show up show up for yourself yeah that's right (laughs) well we kind of talked about um some misconceptions there or misunderstandings is there anything that we missed about yoga or retreats um that maybe someone doesn't understand that you would kind of like to speak the truth about one of the, the things that I hear often from people that, that haven't started practicing yoga before is they'll say, I can't do it because I'm not flexible. I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. So I, I just want to share that that's precisely the reason why one would do yoga, to gain flexibility. And, um, you know, again, this yoga is more than the physical postures, yet it yoga practice is addressing us on all levels so if we're not physical um, if we're not flexible in our physical body that's that's what's happening on the physical layer but now there's also something happening on the energetic layer our breath isn't as fluid as it could be if we have a tight physical body then on the subtler layer we are going to have rigid thoughts in the mind you know that's where the tight body and tight breath came from from rigid thoughts and you know there's even more layers to it Um, So in a nutshell is if one's not flexible in their physical body, yoga can be a transformational, powerful tool to start to peel back those layers on where's this inflexibility coming from? Because, you know, the body itself, when someone is unconscious, you can move the body like Gumby. And so the only reason that happens is because their mind stopped, right? So we all have that ability to have this Gumby-like flexibility within us. So we want to move back to our natural state, and, and yoga has tools to, to support that. So if anyone you know ever feels, well, I'm not flexible, like I, you know, I've seen people doing it, and I can't do this, I can't do that. Well, the thing is, you know, showing up is the one way to move more and more in that direction. You know, when I first started 15 years ago, I was the tightest person around, but I also had no awareness of my breath, and I was very rigid and closed in my thinking. So. Yes, yoga's opened up my physical body over the years, but more importantly, yoga's opened up my whole approach to life, and I, through the practices, feel the most expansive and myself, quote-unquote, that I've ever felt. That is, I mean, I've never thought of it that way, that the flexibility could also be a symbol for the inner world. Um, I do know that there's a lot of symbolism in yoga. (laughs) (laughs) That almost all of the poses can symbolize something um, that either you want to bring into your life or something you want to let go of in your life. Um, What are some of your favorite poses for, um, I I know healing is such a general thing. You can use so many poses for healing, but just what are some of your favorite poses that that have helped you? For me personally, so first of all, the way I practice now is very different than I have practiced over time. So, but I don't know, five, seven years ago, um, I was very fearful. I held a lot of fear in my mind and in my body. And that manifested as fear 
of heights, of fear of trusting others, also myself, um, fear. So physically what that showed up in my body was when someone spoke of doing a headstand or going upside down, I would feel paralyzed in my body just thinking about it. I said, and I would say statements such as, I cannot do that. My body cannot do that. And I was speaking from what I really was saying, though, was I just haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then I, I um, was blessed to have a certain teacher that one time she didn't tell us that's what we were even going to do, but she just kind of got us in this shape and just said, do this, do this, do this. And we just kind of like are edging our little step by step by step. And suddenly, like, we're, we're, we're pretty much there. And, and it just happened and it was like, whoa, what, you know what? And and it was very scary. But then at the same time, as scary as it was in the approach, the moment this headstand occurred, it was the most freedom I had experienced in my life up until that point. So I thought, wow, you know, and it was such an experience of, okay, so if, if this is represented by a coin on one side's fear that I've looked at for so long, but, but if I'm able to just show up. And, and go step by step with guidance, then I can look at the other side of the coin and the other side's complete freedom. And now that I've had a taste of it, that's what I want. So I really, for a long time, really enjoyed the headstand and not from, oh, look at me or let me post a picture about it. That's not what was relevant. But what was relevant is what was happening in my energetic body. And my energetic body was experiencing 180 degrees of itself that it had never experienced before. And that was exactly about the same time that I was at the peak of my law career, but then I had to take a break. It was just too much and it was too stressful and it was it was like I was going in circles and I was working so hard, but the things that I really seek, truly seek, weren't actually occurring. So there was a lot of effort being produced, but there was something missing. So now I start inverting, I start going upside down, I start doing something I never thought was available in my body because I had been trained so long to be strong. But now, I, wow, with balance, with focus, with flexibility, with grace, with ease, with intentionality, I can now experience this new shape which now I'm having different energetic experiences. And then that that led into the same time when I started doing subtler practices in the yoga. So, you know, it it just all meshed up. So that was a a transformational pose for me simply because of what it represented and and the the aspects of the self that someone can experience through that pose. You make me want to go do a headstand. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I haven't yeah. done one since I was a kid, but I feel like I could go in the corner maybe at least and use the wall yeah. to help me. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's like, it's kind of like that salad dressing that you have in the fridge that you haven't used for a long time and everything settles to the bottom. You know, when you do the headstand, it flips it over and it shakes everything up and revitalizes it and gives it life. And that's what I experienced. And, um, you know, there's a famous yogi that talks about if you do headstand, um, every single day for 10 minutes, you'll add 10 years to your life. Wow. You're like, that's how transformational it is by simply moving things in, um, in opposition to gravity, just to stay healthy, to stay vibrant. And, and, uh, I've had that personal experience. Yeah. I guess it obviously just on the physical level, it forces blood flow in a different direction. So that yeah. right there alone is one thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. Well, what else, I mean, that's a major piece, but um, 
are and are there any other things that you have been able to heal or that you are currently working on healing within yourself? I'm sure there's so much, but we would love to to know just a little bit more about what else you've been able to heal. Sure. Well, to circle back to earlier how we were speaking of many students don't see their value. Well, I'm only able to see that because I've worked through it. So I was one of those students at, at the point, right? And so I realized through the yoga practices and the things that I've been studying and doing over the years that one of my um, deepest rooted subconscious beliefs, and it was subconscious for many, many years, most of my life, was the story, I'm not good enough. So I came from a family with eight children, and I was the youngest child. And so I experienced growing up in that environment that um, I felt that it's like it kind of, if I didn't do something, I wasn't acknowledged. Because it's like everyone else was doing something. You know, my parents only had so much time to give to all of us. And so it's like if I didn't kind of, you know, bring something to the table, it's just kind of like, oh, she's the young one, whatever. And and often... um, you know, I felt at times they'd say like, well, she can't come to this because she's too young or she's too immature. She's too this or too that. And it always had to do with my age. Um, so I remember that, you know, that was challenging and, and it wasn't pleasant to have those things that I couldn't control um, being why I couldn't be involved in certain things that were, were occurring through life. So that's where that story came from. So, you know, subconsciously now I create a story that, well, I'm not good enough as who I am. I'm just not good enough. So, um, that was the background that was ruling my life up until that, you know, until, until it wasn't. And, um, you know, so that, that had a lot to do with why I, um, you know, I wasn't going to, to let that, um, you know, dictate my future. So that's why I was definitely an achiever. I was a go getter because I wanted to show and to prove myself on that, you know, I do have value and look, this is what it is. So let me excel at school. Let me excel at sports. Let me excel at everything. Let me be a perfectionist. Let me go to law school. Let me, you know, you name the gamut. So there's a lot of, a lot of doing. So basically I just went into a perpetual state of doing, endless doing, 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 doing. So at some point in the yoga path, I realized, okay, wow, that's the underlying story that's controlling my behavior that I'm unaware of. So now once I realize that's my story, the healing process begins. First that I see it. Wow, that's that's the story. Um, so so then for me through the, the healing practice, I had to um, realize and practice that my value has nothing to do with what I do. And my values simply from being, simply that I'm inhabiting this body, I have inherent value. And, um, you know, that I learned that mostly through my trips to India and studying with the teacher that I study with. And, and I remember on one of my first trips to India, um, he gave us free time for a day and he, he let us be in silence. And he said, just be, he said, just be all day. And I, I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I was like, what do you mean just be? I was like, what are we supposed to do? And he's like, just be. And I was like confused. Like the first half of the day, I was like totally confused and I kind of felt like worthless. Like I'm not doing anything. This is just a waste of time. Like, what are we supposed to do? Let me, you know, do some more yoga. Let me do some more. Like I just wanted to do more because that's all I knew. And that's how I, that's how I thought my value was um, derived from. So finally, though, through that experience and later in the day, like it just hit me. It's like, 
you just be. And so I started looking at the flowers. I started hearing the birds. I went and walked in the river. I went hiking. I just did whatever my heart desired. And I really started to see um, externally what was in front of me. And so as I was now starting to see it externally, that led me that I could now start seeing it internally a little bit more. So then I was able to take on intentional practices to see myself internally for who I am beyond the doing, beyond the resume, beyond the accolades, etc. So, I mean, it's definitely been a, a process. It's been over the years. And, and if I'm not currently diligent, that story will still pop up. You know, so it's not like it just disappeared, but so I have to notice like when something is bothering me or something's triggering me or, you know, I feel that, you know, I feel something unpleasant. I have to look at like, where is that coming from? Like, is that again coming from that story that I'm thinking I don't have value? And so I have to remind myself and continue to do practices, remembering how much value I have. And through the, the yoga that I've learned in India and I practice and teach, um, a big component of it is um, about raising your deserving power. And, and this has been a powerful thing for me over the last three years. Raise your deserving power. Because, you know, what, what you are experiencing in the world is a reflection of what you think you deserve. So I have practiced that. I continually raise my deserving power. And I do physical things to raise my deserving power. And, and simply by meditating, that's naturally raising your deserving power. And um, so... I, I can feel and have seen that that's how, you know, I suddenly, a studio fell in my lap a few years ago, and that's suddenly how I got this full-time job at the university, like, that's from the practices of raising my deserving power, that I do deserve these things, and I do have these unique values within that are meant to be shared, that they, these desires to teach, and these desires to share what's on my heart wouldn't be here unless um, they were for me to share them. So for me to live fully in this world is to honor the unique pulses and desires on my heart. And for me, um, what came clear in meditation is um, my gifts in this world are to create and to teach. And so it doesn't matter whether I'm in a yoga studio or I'm in a classroom at the university. It's the same concept. I'm doing the same thing. So now that I no longer see this law side, this doing side, and this yoga side, this being side as separate, I see them as one and it's simply complementary and it's it's all within me and it's all within my heart. Um, now it's all, you know, just effortlessly fallen together. And um, the way I feel and the way I look at the world is now being mirrored back to me with more wholeness because that's the value I see and experience within. I identify with everything you said so much. It just, it really resonates with me. I feel like I went through a very, very, very similar path of trying to be, trying to be, trying to be and prove and show that I'm this and show that I'm that, getting my master's degree, talking about my PhD and excelling as a mother and staying home and doing it all. And um, I think the truth of it is that, like you said, we are perfect as we are. We don't have to prove anything. And I think that a lot of women struggle with that. And I think so many people listening to this will identify also with your story. And I think a lot of people are not in the place where they recognize that they are divine beings having a human experience and that they are perfect and whole as they are. I don't think a lot of people are there, but I think we're moving that way. And I think your example of showing that 
to the world is so needed. I think that's, that's all a lot of people need is just to see that someone else is doing it. And then they say, I can do that too. And so I just, I thank you for that, for putting your heart out there into the world. I think that it's just so needed. <laughs> it just is. Yes. And, and exactly what you said, one of the, one, an actual practical tool that we use in yoga is the mantra or the affirmation. And I've, I've said this thousands upon thousands of times to myself. I am perfect, whole, and complete. I am perfect, whole, and complete. For a while, I had it written down. I had it on my mirror. I was reading it every day. And that's a powerful one I share with students in teacher training. I am perfect, whole, and complete. And it's not just, you know, it, it, at first we have to say it, we have to hear it, but then it starts to become something that we embody. And we actually no longer have to say it, but we embody it. You know, and that's, that's the, the, the growth. It is the growth, and I. But I also liked how you mentioned earlier that it's, like, it's really never done. I think in our society we want to think that, um, you know, there's like this magic wand, and we've suddenly healed this about ourselves, and then we just put that away and we move on. And even though it does become part of your being, and most of the time it is automatic. Sometimes those old fears just creep up. Something might trigger you, or it's kind of a test to see, like, are you really? evolved have you really worked on this let's just make sure and it just kind of reminds you where you came from and all the work that you've done and um I, I think that happens a lot and so people expecting themselves to be cured or healed or perfect moving from one specific place in time forward it's just very unrealistic I think we have to give ourselves grace and forgiveness <laughs> yeah and just continually practice yeah practice 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 yeah, going back to that. Thank you so much, Claire. If um, if there's anyone in the Miami area who is interested in taking um, a class with you, do you have um, some information on where they might be able to find you? Sure. So the name of the yoga studio is Lighthouse Yoga and Wellness, and we're located in Miami Lakes, Florida, a suburb of Miami. Uh, we have a website, um, lighthouseyogawellness.com. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, I'm personally on Instagram, Claire Z one 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 one. And yeah, I'd love to connect. And um, it's also just feeling in this moment to share one additional thing. And it's that this summer I'm going to be hosting an intensive yoga teacher training. Normally, teacher training at our studio is a ten week program, so it it lends to people that are local. However, this training that I'll be hosting this summer is going to be on um, on site, and it'll be 10 days at the studio, and then it's going to be a seven-day residential experience. So, um, and the thing about our teacher training practice is it's not just for people that want to be yoga teachers. Teacher training is a training to transform your life. Remembering, again, yoga means union. So if you seek to have an intensive 17-day experience to leave more in union with yourself than you've ever been. We're offering that type of training, and I'm excited to guide it in this format. Um, and it could be something that someone would fly in for. So that's happening this summer, July 26th through August 11th. Perfect. Well, I think that is great to share. You never know. Someone might be interested. So thank you so much for your time, Claire. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate it. I hope you found information, clarity, or inspiration that you'll take with you today and use in your everyday life. If you enjoy my show, the biggest compliment you could give would be sharing it with your friends, subscribing, 
rating, and reviewing it on whatever device you use to listen. Visit me at athenarisingpodcast.com or at Athena Rising Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. A huge thank you to Purple Planet for the music used in this episode. See you next time.